Welcome back to the Educational Wizards Corner podcast with Adriana Correa. This podcast is dedicated to all things education, personalized learning, provide educators like you advice and an outlet to learn how to best implement best practices of personalized learning into your own classroom. In the last episode, we set you and your little wizards up for a sorting hat ceremony and plan for your little wizards individualized path. We explored the sorting hat effect, which means that your little wizards have so many different needs and wants that lead them down their own magical learning journeys. In this episode, we are going to dig into those owls, but these are a little different. These are our extraordinary, wondrous learning structures, or better known as authentic and adaptive assessments. We will explore how we can prepare our little wizards to self-assess by looking at the differences between analytic and holistic rubrics, as well as at how a single point self-assessment checklist can create wondrous experiences in a personalized classroom. This episode will also look at an example in the classroom that allows your little wizards to demonstrate their learning mastery of the standards and content in multiple ways. In the last part of this episode, we will focus on three different types of assessment, diagnostic, formative, and summative, and how they look in a personalized learning classroom. Wand out educational wizards and let's learn how owls can transform your classroom. One key component of the OWLs, or Authentic and Adaptive Assessments, is self-assessment. Let's think about what Grant Wiggins says in his article called Practical Assessment, Research, and Evaluation, a move towards more authentic tasks and outcomes thus improves teaching and learning. Students have greater clarity about their obligations and teachers can come to believe that assessment results are both meaningful and useful for improving instruction. Your little wizards have an opportunity to use their knowledge acquired and apply their skills to the task at hand and reflect on their learning. Let's take a look at the differences between holistic and analytical rubrics as well as one type of rubric that I learned about in my research, single point rubrics and how they can be used in your classroom. A great resource for this is Jennifer Gonzalez, Cult of Pedagogy, in her post called Know Your Terms, Holistic, Analytical, and Single Point Rubrics, which can be found in the bio of this episode. A holistic rubric is defined as a rubric with more broad descriptions of the characteristics that define each level, and levels can be labeled with numbers, letters, or words. What makes the rubric holistic is the way the characteristics are lumped together. One of the main advantages of a holistic rubric is that it is easier on the teacher and takes less time to create and use for grading. But a disadvantage to that is that it doesn't provide targeted feedback to students from which they can learn from. This prompts more questions from the student. So you ask yourself, then how can I use this type of rubric in the class? Well, think of this rubric as looking at the whole impression of the student's work.
So I would use this in a gallery walk of student presentations with an authentic audience. So that means that you would have parents, other students, teachers, community members, or administration use a holistic rubric to provide feedback to students on their final pieces, looking at the overall project and impression they are left with. You could also use this in a panel or classroom discussion on topics you have presented while looking at the overall discourse and participation a student has. All right, let's dig into analytic rubrics. An analytic rubric breaks down the characteristics of a task into parts. This allows the creator to define exactly what aspects are strong and which ones need improvement. An advantage to an analytic rubric is that it gives the students a clearer picture of why they got the score they got. It also gives the score the ability to justify a score on paper without having to explain everything. A disadvantage, though, is creating them takes a lot more time because more thought is put into the descriptions for each column. Also, students may not read the whole thing and may not clearly understand what is expected of them. So what is the best scenario to use this in a classroom? Let's take what my school uses, Lucy Calkins and our writing units of study. They provide a general rubric or checklist, but our team has taken that and provided a more detailed rubric for each numbered category, one to four, that provides our students with specific information they need to have within each component of their specific writing task. This helps the students clearly see the expectations and what they need to include to receive a specific score, as well as provide justification for the teacher on what the student may have missed in their writing piece. Another type of rubric that I came across while researching for this episode was a single point rubric, which defined by Jennifer Gonzalez as a rubric similar to an analytic rubric, but only describes the criteria for proficiency. It does not list all the ways a student could fall short or how they could exceed expectations. Rather, it allows the score to provide personal feedback. Advantages to using a rubric such as this is that it contains less language, which means students are more likely to read it all and listing out areas of concern or excellence are open-ended. A disadvantage is that it does require more writing on the score rather than just highlighting pre-written areas. I really like how Joy Noland, author of the blog post on Aurora Institute called the Single Point Mastery Rubric, described this as a streamlined, elegant rubric that can be used for grading, coaching, self-reflection, peer feedback, student-led conferences, and so much more. Let's take a look at how this can be used as a self-reflection as well as a peer feedback in a concept I like to call glows and grows. With the outcomes and criteria set in the middle for the task, students are able to reflect on their own glows or what they felt they had a strong aspect in their work and their grows. How could they strengthen their work? This has your little wizards thinking about those specific traits or characteristics of their own work by the use of sentence stems and vocabulary found in the criteria description. Peers can also use this when evaluating projects, written pieces, group work, or any authentic task that is assigned to them. 
It builds on their critical thinking skills as they dig deeper into the work based on what they have experienced and what they see. As you think about your own classroom, I want you to take what Grant Wiggins describes authentic assessments as. They present the student with a full array of tasks that mirror the priorities and challenges found in the best instructional activities. So now that you have your rubric set, it is time to think about the multiple ways that your little wizards can demonstrate their mastery. Let me give you an example of how this can look in a classroom. I worked in a charter school that focused on project-based learning. In one of our project units, we collaborated with the PE teacher to develop a unit on plant life cycles and healthy eating habits. Our students were given an analytical rubric that described the criteria needed for their end of unit project. Students had an opportunity to collaborate with the PE teacher and their group to decide what they wanted to plant in our grade level garden. They were to research and develop a presentation as to why they chose their plant, the seasonal growth of their plant, collection of the data of the plant growth, and how it contributes to a healthy eating habit. This was the general information students had to include, but they had multiple means of developing their final product. They could create a standard PowerPoint presentation or a video recorded commercial using Video Maker, develop a trifold presentation with photo evidence and written descriptions, or develop a model of their plant's growth with written evidence and descriptions. This experience for our students created what John Mueller of North Central College in his collective website called Authentic Assessment Toolbox describes as presenting a real world problem to solve. Students are learning in the process of developing a solution. Teachers are facilitating the process and the student's solutions to the problem becomes an assessment of how well the students can apply multiple meaningful applications to the concepts. In this last part of the episode, we are going to examine the differences and some examples of diagnostic, formative, and summative assessments that you can find in a personalized learning classroom. All these types of assessments can lend themselves to what Gregor Novak and his blog post on Edutopia called Just-in-Time Teaching, an Interactive Engagement Pedagogy. He says, the essence of just-in-time teaching pedagogy is a timely pre-instruction assignments, usually called warm-ups, that inform the upcoming lesson by encouraging the students to examine their prior knowledge and seek information about the upcoming topic. By using diagnostic, formative, and summative assessments, educational wizards can meet students where they are at and co-design a magical journey with them in mind. Let's examine a diagnostic, which is a pre-assessment that is given in our district three times a year, fall, winter, and spring. It can assess a student's prior knowledge on certain content, for us, ELI and math. It can pinpoint where, student, where a student is at by determining their strengths and weaknesses in a particular area. Then, a teacher can use that information to form instructional groups and help students continue their individualized learning paths, such as the ones used in our district through iReady. iReady 
as described by Tara Smith, an EdTech update by choosing the right adaptive learning tool, is a tool that informs instruction, adapts to the individual needs of students, and provides specific data for all stakeholders. Teachers utilize the adaptive learning platform iReady for ELA and math to analyze data of individual students throughout those three points in the year. iReady also adapts to the student's individual path once the diagnostic is completed. Other forms of diagnostic assessments are teacher observations and feedback, pretest, questionnaires, running records, benchmarks, and so many more. How do you think you could use a diagnostic in your classroom instruction? Now let's take a look at some of my favorite formative assessments. Formative assessments are more frequent and allow educational wizards like yourself to know where your little wizards are struggling and or thriving. With this, you can take and make adjustments where needed and allow room for just-in-time teaching. Mueller describes in his website Authentic Assessment Toolbox that having a sufficient amount of samples and a variety of measures, you can see your little wizards applying what they have learned in different ways and from different perspectives. Formative assessments are good for quick ass assessments on one skill to plan for reinforcement or extension in a specific instructional group. In the Sorting Hat Effect episode, I described a strategy used in the Trailblazers Elementary School, where an instructor used a rating system, zero to four points, and students were to answer up to four questions based on the standard. Once students have their answer, they check in with the teacher, and then students can then check other students' answers. Students then are set on a path for the day, depending on their point values. Paths vary from extension activities, teacher time, collaboration time, online platforms, activity cards, or projects that display their mastery of the standard. This is a great example of a formative assessment set up to lead students on their individualized paths. One formative assessment that is common in my math class is a CFA, or a common formative assessment, or also known as a check, checkpoint within a unit. It can be performed using a variety of digital resources, but my favorite is to use quizzes, which engages the students while also giving me valuable data in order to set the stage for learning. Other formative assessments that you can include but are not limited to are a verbal response, exit slips, polls, interviews, and self-assessments. All of these are meant to be reviewed in a quick time frame and planned for just-in-time instruction on a particular skill or standard. How can you use or how do you already use formative assessments in your class? The last type of assessment that we will talk about in this episode is summative assessments. They are typically given at the end of the unit or module to demonstrate mastery of multiple standards. They can be done in a variety of ways depending on how much voice you want to give your little wizards. Since this episode is focused on extraordinary, wondrous learning structures, the more authentic, the better. Mueller says that authentic tasks tend to give students more freedom in how they will demonstrate what they have learned. By carefully identifying the, the criteria through a variety of rubrics that we talked about earlier, they can apply those 
to multiple options of demonstrating their mastery through PowerPoints, videos, written pieces, or even trifold posters, and so much more. These assessments are more in-depth and may require research, creative presentations, real-world demonstrations, and so much more. Take, for example, how we incorporate summative assessments at our school through STEM Day and the weeks leading up to STEM Day. Our students work through the engineering design model throughout the unit to the culminating activity where they showcase their learning. Students are given guidelines and rubrics that correspond to elements within the engineering design model and criteria they must meet. These experiences let, let our little wizards demonstrate authentic learning on the same task and how they all might take a different approach. How can you reshape summative assessments in your classroom? Okay, educational wizards, owls are set and ready to go. You have explored how to best incorporate authentic and adaptive assessments into your classroom and build on your little wizards' needs and wants into their own magical adventure into personalized learning. Just remember to be there for your little wizards, be about the change, engage in collaboration with others, and make it magical for your little wizards as they continue their personalized learning journeys. We have one more episode to go in Season 2, Educational Wizards. I'll see you for our final on Lifelong Learners 2022-2023.